Doing all right? Oh, yeah. God wouldn't have it any other way. I know that's right. The devil just tried. <laughs> I know, right? Facts, facts on that. Yeah. So welcome to another episode of the Impel Four Podcast. And today I'm excited to have my man, Kelsey Battle, the man behind I Can. Whew. You are an inspiration to me. You already know that. I tell you that all the time. I appreciate that. I try yeah, to yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to dive right in. Just So tell me, um, jumping to becoming a CEO of a clothing brand, going through high school, not knowing how to read or write. How, how did you get there? Well, actually, you know, you don't know your limits until you challenge. So as I was going through school, <clears throat> I really, really wasn't a troublemaker. I mean, we hung out, you know, we did mischievous things, but as far as behaving in school and class, respecting the teachers and the other students, I did that. Mm -hmm. So it was easier back then for them to pass me along because I wasn't a troublemaker. I did the best that I could do academically, but I really didn't know my challenges. You know, my parents, um, you know, my mom been on substance abuse since I've been in like elementary. So no one really sat me down and challenged me in the house to say, let me see your report card. I'm going to the PTA meeting and um, challenge me as far as my homework and everything. So I had older brothers and sisters too. So it was really, uh, it wasn't a challenge in my house. So the teachers, you know, as I went from one grade level to another grade level, I just was passed along. So when did you, when did you know that you couldn't read or write? Mm, had to be in middle school. Mm -hmm. So in middle school, I don't know if you remember back in the day in middle school, it didn't matter, we changed classes, but in middle school, as you, the teacher would call on you, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, you would have to read and write. I mean, you would have to read whatever, you know, the subject, a class was. So mm -hmm. I struggled and Cass was like, dang, you know what I'm saying? They, they was puzzled. And then mm -hmm. when I really uh, was challenged to do my work, I knew I couldn't do it. I was like, dang, you know. But the impact of what it really was um, having on me, I really didn't know because um, nobody really outside the classroom challenged me. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So I would do my homework and turn it in, mm -hmm. but I would get a grade and the grade, I was like, okay, I got a 50, I got a 40, mm -hmm. I got a 70. But it really didn't impact me because you know, I'm because I'm, I'm participating and I'm doing the work. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like, Somebody sitting me down and say, you know, this is a felon grade or, you know, what is your challenge? You know, you can't read and write. They mm. just continue to just accept my work and my participation and my behavior was excellent. So that's what really passed me along. And, right. and as I noticed, I was challenged, but I didn't know to what degree as I got older, you know, from middle school to high school. You know, like I said, I, you know, I play sports and mm -hmm. if you look at my report card. A lot of the grades that I did uh, perform well in, the coaches was the, I had the coaches as the teacher, world yeah. geometry, economics, mm -hmm. um, PE. You know, I played sports, so the coaches, you know, was um, was a teacher in those classes. Yeah. But when I did become a senior, you know, as I got to graduation, I knew I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's graduating, and um, academically, when I go back and look at my transcript. I can see I didn't have the grades to go to college, the classes to go to college. Mm -hmm. And actually, I didn't even pass a lot of the um, subject to even have the, the credits to graduate. I didn't complete English three. Uh, I, I failed all my Spanish. I think you need back then you need at least one Spanish. Mm -hmm. I mean, one, you know, one, one um, foreign language. 
So I really didn't uh, have the um, credits, much less the classes to graduate, but they graduated me. I think I graduated out of 411 kids, I was 369. I think I was uh, smarter than 47 kids in my class. Mm. I was 369 out of 411. Wow. Now, I know I went to summer school twice and don't two years in a row. And I don't remember how I got out of it either myself, to tell you the truth. And so yeah, they, so I, I stayed in summer school as well. Every year I was in summer school. Every year I was in reading, writing, whatever the class I needed. I was I still didn't even pass summer school. Mm-hmm. And you, you graduated. What, what middle school did you go to? Let me see. I went to um Ann Chestnut. Chestnut. I went there one year. I went to mm-hmm. Ann Chestnut one year, then I moved, then I came back my 11th grade year. Okay. And that's when you was at Saint First. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what year did you uh when did you go to you went, went to the army straight out of high school? Nah, I graduated. I graduated in 1990 in June. Mm-hmm. And during that summer, you know, wasn't nobody really home in my spot because I was the youngest of five. Everybody else was gone. Mm-hmm. So I was the youngest of five. And a friend of mine, his mom really took care of me, washing my clothes, going over there to eat, making sure I stayed out of trouble. But then, you know, I still try to hook up with people that was running the street. Right. You know, a lot of people were selling drugs or just hustling, being these, you know, just in the street. Yeah. A lot of cats was in the street. So I was hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was an incident that went down and I was like, yo, I ain't going to prison. Right. So after that incident, I said, I'm joining the army. I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. So I went up to Raleigh, North Carolina. And I uh, had contacted the recruiter. We went, took me to MEPS in Raleigh, took the ASVAB. And this, and this cat was like, um, he was like, yo, who, who diploma is this? I said, like, it was mine. You know, this is like a repeated story. I know the story so easy. He was like, who diploma is this? I said, this is my diploma. He was like, can you read and write? I was like, nah. He said, can you spell? I was like, nah. He's like, I know, because you didn't even pass the ASVAB. I didn't even score high enough for them to give me a job. Hmm. So when you take the ASVAB based on your scores, that's what type of placement job you'll get. You get okay. to pick. They give you a list saying you can leave this date, you qualify for this job, or you want to wait, you know, based on this job, you can't leave it four months or five months. Mm-hmm. So it was during the Gulf War, 1990, 91. He was like, um, you didn't pass. You, you know, I can't give you a job. You can't join. I was like, yo, I can't go home. I was like, man, everybody there doing drugs. I I, I begged him. I was like, yo, I can't go home. He's like, I'm going to help you save your life. So he put me in the army. He said, you know, don't tell nobody, you know, about this. So I don't know what he did. But three days later, I was in Oklahoma, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I ended up being a tank driver. Right. I ended up driving tanks. And I did that for four years. And I met my wife. I told her, I said, I need to raise my GT score. And she said, what is that? That's a score to get a better job. Because I drive tanks. I was in the woods all the time. Because yeah. where are you going to drive a tank at? So I was always in the field, in the woods, and I was like, I got to get out of this. So I um, I took a class. They let me take a class while I was in the Army to raise my GT score, and she helped me take that class. Mm-hmm. So mind you, even though I went to basic and I, I learned how to read better, I learned how to – I started reading in basic training. They gave me a little pocket Bible when I left MEPS, and I started reading that pocket Bible in basic training. Usually the shine of your boots – you was writing a letter home or you was reading something. That's all we did. We wasn't training, marching, PT, whatever we was um, we was reading, writing, and shining our boots. Mm. So I was reading this Bible, man. I didn't know what I was reading. I just kept praying, like, God, I didn't know how to read. I'm struggling. So, <clears throat> you know, over the period of time being in basic for like three months, I learned how to read. So by I, this I time, 
By this time, how old were you? Shoot, I was um what 20 going on 20, 19 going on 20. I joined the army at 19. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you learn how to read by reading the Bible. Right. Yeah. I, but I didn't I was like trying to sound, you know, whatever those words was, yeah, I just I kept praying. Trying yeah. to sound it out. I knew the phonics though. I need. I knew like put this word together. You know. I, yeah. And don't get me wrong. I can read cat, dog, stop sign, and stuff like that. But to actually read and write and spell, I couldn't do it. Hmm. So when it came to math, I was pretty good at math. You know, I made it to geometry, but I got caught up because we started reading word problems. You know, go home and do page twenty nine through thirty one. But then hmm. you had to read what to do. Mm -hmm. As long as we was in class and she put it on the board in an example. And then the example, I knew once I see these numbers, it's dividing, multiplying, subtraction, adding, division. I knew that. But when it had, when I had to read what I had to do outside of class, I couldn't read the word problems. So I, I ended up failing geometry when it came to that reading part. Mm. I remember being in algebra my 10th grade year, which was my last year. I don't even know. Can't tell you nothing about it. <laughs> it's true. So how, when, when did you, what, how long did you stay in the army? Man, I stayed in the army um, 10 and a half years. It's basically 11 years because I was on a delayed entry program. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in basically 11 years. That was a good, good, good while. 11 wow. years, yeah. Yeah. So did you, uh, how did you cope besides the reading part? You not knowing how to read, how did you cope in the army? How was it for you in there? You know, in the military, it's, it's like, um, it's more hands-on. And it's it's more practical, basically. When you do something in the military, it, you do have to read and write, but everything is hands-on. They're telling you what to do, or they're showing you what to do, or they're training you physically, mm -hmm. um, hands-on. So when it came to driving a tank, it really wasn't no manual. Right. We yeah. did take tests in AIT, mm -hmm. but for the most part, if you failed a test, you would keep taking this test. It's called recycle. So right. say you take a test and you fail. You couldn't go on to the next level. The other, the other cadets or the other um soldiers will go on, but you'll get retrained. You see the retrain and reclass, and then they'll sit down and they'll basically they'll break that joint down to you um to you get it. So in the military, it's very hands on. But um, you know, my drill sergeants and people knew my AIT drill sergeant. He knew something was wrong, but you know they they don't let you fail in the military. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I passed that. You know, in the um. You know, passing basic, then AIT, and then basic, honestly, is really no reading and writing. You, you do a lot of physical training, push-ups, sit-ups, running, jumping. Mm -hmm. um, you do learn how to shoot a weapon, but you ain't got to read to do that. They tell you, put the magazine in there, put the rounds in there, and they, they basically hands-on. You know what I'm saying? It's more like teach a person how to fish. They'll learn to eat forever. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says teach a person. And, and that's the rule of thumb that, you know, I really started going by because Instead of like now, instead of telling people, hey, go to Walmart, pick up a 10 pound um, fishing rod, get a, a tension, a 20 pound tension, get a weight, you know, five pound weight. You can tell somebody that. But when they get there, they don't, they, well, they don't know what fishing rod look like, how to determine what fishing rod to get. So with right. me and what I learned, you know, you actually have to show somebody hands on, sit down, show them, you know, take them through it, actually physically show them. Mm -hmm. So that's how I was in the military, and that's how I got by a lot in the military because a lot, a lot of things in the military are hands on. Mm -hmm. So what, what made you get out of the military, or how did you get out? You just decided it was time for you to go, or you had another idea. So, be honest with you, it was two things that made me get out of the military. 
one day my daughter said, why do you go to work? It's dark. And you come home, it's dark. Because mm. in the military, I had to be to work at 530. We right. had PT at 6. And then we get off about 530. And I was a supply sergeant. So I was the last one to leave in case they needed anything. So I would get home about 6. So I would leave. I would miss a lot. And then another thing was um, my wife wanted to start some group homes. Mm -hmm. I said, man, I don't know what no group home is. She's like, well, this is my passion, so I want to do. I need you to help me start these group homes. So I helped her start some group homes. So we had the group homes while I was in the military. So I would go over there in my uniform. These kids was bad. I mean, yeah. it was horrible, you know, behavior-wise, you know what I'm saying? Right. And um, I was little. I wasn't mm -hmm. a big guy. All right. So when I would go over there, I had my Army beret on, my jump boots, my Army uniform. And these kids were scared of me. But it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was grown people working. I'm grown, but it was big, you know, football players from Fayetteville State, yeah. just older people, you know, physically bigger than me. But it was like, why y'all scared of Mr. Kelsey? There's like, he killed people. There's like, why you said he in the army? So the mindset was people in the army kill people. They train to kill people. And that's actually what the military do. They train to defend, to protect. Right. So being at Fort Bragg and you hear all the bombing and the training, and the kids see me in uniform, they were like, this dude is a killer. But I wasn't no killer. You know, I was a supply sergeant. All right. But they do train you to shoot a weapon and all that. So yeah. we started group homes, and uh, I started the clothing line while I was in the Army. From I was watching a Columbine school shooting. Mm -hmm. That's what gave me the idea. Um, I was watching the school shooting on the news. I had a TV in my supply room. And um, after the school shooting went off, this guy named Billy Graham came on TV preaching, but I can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4 and 13. And I told the soldiers, if these kids knew I can, you know, like they knew Nike, uh -huh. the mindset, because, you know, the military thing is mindset. Right. You know, so I said, if those kids knew I can, like they knew Nike, maybe it would have changed their mindset. So they was yeah. like, yeah, so that's how I got the idea to do I can. That was in 1999. So you started it while you was in the Army, I can. Yeah. I started, I was in the army and check it out. So I said, I'm going to get out and I'm going to do this brand. You know, guy was like, get out and do this brand. I feel I was being led. And then they wanted me to re-enlist. I was getting ready to get promoted to E7. I was E6P. I had just came from training in school in Virginia to make my E7. Mm -hmm. And um, they was like, battle, we need you to re-enlist. I was like, man, I'm not re-enlisting. It's like, what you going to do? I said, I'm getting out. What you going to do? Ain't nothing out here. I said, I'm going to start a clothing company. They was like, this cat crazy. Right. And I was telling them about it. They see me on post doing it. I was doing T-shirts with I can on it. We did 100 T-shirts, me and these soldiers, and we we tried to sell them on Fort Bragg, Fayetteville. We, could, we did 100 T-shirts, and we couldn't sell them. So mm -hmm. I ended up giving them away. I was like, I'm going to just give them away. I can't sell them. About right. two or three months later, people started calling me saying, hey, you got some T-shirts with that brand I can on? I was like, nah. Just like, I buy one. I was like, I ain't got none. So so many people was calling and asking. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I I printed up some more t-shirts and I started selling them. Mm -hmm. Then the cat was like, you ain't got no hats. I was like, nah. He's like, man, I need a hat. So he said, you need a hat where I can on that buy. So I went locally and got about 15 hats done where I can on it. So I'm selling hats. I was actually, the hats cost so much, I was selling them for what I was getting them made for. I really wanted to make it a profit. Right. And the t-shirts, you know, I really wasn't making no bread either. I was just doing just enough to keep me going. So were you using your own money from the army? Money. Nah, I got three jobs. So check it out. Oh, wow. I knew I was going to get out. And mm -hmm. my wife said, how are you going to do this brand? So I went home. I told my wife, I said, hey. She said, you re-enlisted there? I was like, nah. She said, you know you, they're going to be tripping. I said, I know. They said, what you tell them? I said, I'm getting out. She said, what you going to do? I'm going to do this brand. She was, like, she was laying on the couch holding my daughter, holding my son. 
She's like, how are we going to pay our bills? I said, God told me don't worry about that. She's <laughs> like, she's like, well, if God told you that, I ain't going to trip. So this what happened. I did not re-enlist. She ended up starting a group on while I was in the military. Mm. And then um, I just unfolded it like that. I got out of the Army. I was doing a T-shirt while I was in. I had 12 months before I got out of the Army. So this is what I did. I got three jobs. My military check paid all our bills as regular. Took care of the household. I was working at the commissary on Fort Bragg bagging groceries. I'd get off work between five between 5.30 and 6. I would go to the commissary bag groceries till 10 o'clock. Right. That was tips only. You only got tips. That was Monday through Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday, I worked at Finish Line Shoe Store. An army buddy of mine, he was the manager. He got out. He was the manager of Finish Line Shoe Store. I said, Doug, I need a job. He gave me a job working at Finish Line Shoe Store every Saturday and Sunday from open to close at this place called Market Fair Mall. Okay. I would get there at 10. I wouldn't leave till 9 on Sunday, on Saturday. On Sunday, it opened at 12, and it closed at 6. I did three jobs for a whole year. Mm. I had quit finish line, and I started working at Little Caesars Pizza, bagging groceries in the military. Quit Little Caesars Pizza, and there was a car wash on Pamela Drive across from McDonald's. I quit the pizza joint and went and started um, washing cars. So I kept those three jobs for a whole year. In the interim of me doing that, I was designing clothes, just designing my brand, getting blanks, putting Ikean on it. Right. Um, and the money from the commissary and, and the other jobs I would I would get, I was stacking it up. I was designing, making samples, making a catalog, taking pictures. So I used those other two jobs to do, you know, my brand. And, and my military check, I paid my bills. Mm-hmm. Paid off all my debt. I knew I was getting out. And then, you know, the group homes opened up. So we started making bread with that. But we really wasn't making a lot of profit in the beginning. So I was working at the group homes too. Stopped both of those, start working at the group home. When them checks start coming in, that, that changed the game right there. The right. group home checks. How did you learn? You came up with the idea I came. How did you learn how to put all that together as far as making the clothes and going about? Because it, now it wasn't back then, it wasn't like it is today. You can just research a lot of stuff and it's there for you. How did you? So check, so, so check it out. I really. I really manifested, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I, I studied what I wanted to do. I prayed about it. We didn't have the internet like that. Right, exactly. Then we had, we had something called AOL. It was a dial-up on the internet. You had to dial up through your home phone line or wherever you was. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started going to trade shows. I started seeing the manufacturers at trade shows, people that were selling brands. I started going there. I started going to stores. I started researching, how do I get in your store? What you mean? I'm starting this brand. And they would tell me, you need to, you need like a dozen of each color per size, small through, you know, 2X, whatever I'm doing, men, women. So I started just doing my research. As I started doing my research, I started, you know, putting the catalog together, putting a book together with all my notes in it. And um, I started studying fabrics. Uh-huh. I started studying like, like hoodie. I got a hoodie on. It's going to be a 10 ounce, an eight ounce, a six ounce. And it's really studying what you really want to do because you can't do a 10-ounce hoodie in the summer. Right. But you can do a 6-ounce hoodie in the summer. Mm-hmm. So you, And then the weight of the fabric, the color. So I really started studying what I was doing. And I knew fabrics. I knew color waves. Everything that comes with um, fashion, you would have to go to school to do and learn. I started doing it on my own. We didn't have the internet, so I would go to the library. I would get books and study so that's how I really got into it, putting everything together through the library, just studying, going to shows, talking to people that had stores, um, 
I was literally calling um the big department stores. Um, I was I was doing it wrong, but I was still researching, trying to find out how to do it. So I'm gonna tell you what I did. When I really got to a pivotal level, where I need I had everything that I needed, and I approached some department stores. They was like, "Well, if we buy your brand, who's gonna sell it?" I was like, "Well, we we just organically trying to grow the brand." It was like, "You need some, you need somebody behind it to grow your brand." So I was like, "Wow, who can I get?" And I'm sportswear, athletic wear, right? Mm -hmm. So I got Deion Sanders. Uh, I wrote a script to present to him to come on board with me. Mm -hmm. And um, after I wrote the script, I studied it. And I, um, I rehearsed this script about 300 times. And when I called his agent, she thought I was a big company. I didn't, even, I told her I worked for the company. Right. I called her on the phone and I used to get in the mirror and rehearse what I was going to say to anybody who I called. I was, a, I did it all. So I was like, hello, how you doing? My name is Kelsey Bad. I work for ICANN Clothes Company. We're a new brand on the market. We're searching athletes across the United Nations, United, United States. And um, Deion Sanders is a big um, celebrity athlete. We don't want him to miss out on this opportunity. Um, to come on board with this brand. And I, I just rehearsed that over and over and over. By the time mm -hmm. I talked to her, she's like, wow, it sounds, and I told her the name of the brand and everything. Mm -hmm. And then she says, well, um, well, let me set up a meet, let me set up a meeting with him. So she set up a meet me, meeting with him. I had a bunch of um, promotion products. I met him in DC. He was playing for the Redskins. And, right. uh, you know, I had all my stuff together. And then when I, I presented it to him, he liked it. He was under Nike, but he still promoted it. He still right. was wearing it. He got me on TV wearing it. So that really helped me too, him wearing it. But um, what people don't know is I didn't own the trademark for ICANN. I applied for it and somebody else owned it. I got denied. Mm -hmm. So I got denied. And when I got denied for the trademark, I got a lawyer. He said, it's going to be this much for me to take, you know, to handle this. I was like, man, I ain't got no money like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, I'm going to tell you what to do. You can do it on your own. He said, call the guy who owned it. He gave me his information. And he said, uh, ask him, do he want to sell it to you or do you want to get rid of it? I called this guy. He said, man, I don't even use it. Just file for it. And when you file for it again, I won't even fight you. If he doesn't fight me and I petition him that I want it, then mm -hmm. I automatically, then I get it. So right. I file for it. And then they sent him a letter saying somebody's trying to file for this trademark. Do you want to protest it? He's like, nah. He said, I don't want to contest it. So when he did contest it, he lost it. And then I was able to file for it and get it. Oh, wow. That's, that's... But you know, check this out. That took three years. Because so, back then, it took three years because we didn't have the internet. It right. was paperwork. Mm -hmm. I, I sent it in to the USPTO. They opened a letter, read it. They sent it to him. He got to respond. And mm -hmm. then when he responded, he, they responded to me saying he don't want to uh, contest it. Then I sent a letter back. So it's all paperwork. But mm -hmm. now through the internet, you can do everything through the internet, through email and all that. It's, it's like day and night now so yeah it took me three years to get it i still was able to use it because he did not he wanted to do it so i was still going to trade shows but i could not sign no contracts with no company for three years because i didn't actually own it right so the deal yes. with dion couldn't go through because i didn't own it yet i filed for the trademark and i could not legally bring nobody on and say hey i own this trademark so i couldn't do nothing with him oh okay Wow. So anybody, any anybody, any celebrity, artist, musician, actor, actress, I couldn't literally pay them and say, I own this trademark. I need you to wear this shirt and promote it because I didn't even own it myself. I was waiting for it to come through. Mm. So I was just really organically going to trade shows, spending my money with this brand, T-shirts, hats, jackets, 
And I was just doing it all on my own. I didn't even own the trademark yet. Three years mm -hmm. later, I ended up getting it. Well, that's a blessing. So you went from not knowing how to read or write to the Army and found yourself in the library studying, trying to find out how to be a yeah. better a better CEO. <laughs> Might as well yeah. say. Wow, that's amazing. Can you talk about the, I know you told me about, um, I'm trying to see how to phrase it because I don't know if you could talk about that. The uh, battle you went through with the ICANN, not the one you just told me about. Okay, yeah, so check it out. Once I did get the trademark, mm -hmm. I'm I'm spending thousands, you know what I'm saying? So if you do a booth in Vegas, just small, just say a 10 by 30 booth. You got all your apparel in there and you're selling it. So I'm flying people out. I'm flying my staff out. We're in hotels for a week and we're flying product out. You got to pay for this booth. I'm spending about 20, 20, 20 to 25 to 30,000, between 20 and 30,000 a show, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to the Atlanta show. I'm going to the Vegas show, which is bigger. That's the biggest show in the world. The Vegas show. I'm going to um, New York. North Carolina used to have a show in Atlanta. So I'm going to all these shows trying to sell my brand, traveling. I'm spending a lot of bread. Mm -hmm. You know, on my level, it's a lot of money. Right, right. I own the trademark now. I'm selling in different stores. And then another big company, huge. I mean, it's like one of the top. It's like the top th three brands in in in, in the world. Right. They started doing I can too. So they started using the brand, and I owned the brand. And then I, I you know, I, I got a lawyer to contact them, say, "Hey, this this guy owns the brand. We act, we need you to stop using it because it's a conflict of interest." Like when I would apply to go to a trade show, they would say, "Oh, somebody owns that brand. Do you own this brand?" Because when you go to a trade show, and it don't matter what brand you are, you got to send your documentation in saying who's the owner. You got to send copies that you own the trademark because mm -hmm. people will show up. Even today, people will show up with other people's um, brand at a show and sell that apparel. Mm. So you got to send in all your, your legal documents saying you're the owner of the brand. And they and they would stop me saying, you don't own it. Yes, I do. And so I would look at the previous show. It's like, what's another company doing? I said, they ain't supposed to. Mm -hmm. So it was hindering me from getting in shows or even stores be like, uh, are you with this company? I was like, nah. They was like, well, how are you selling this? I saw on the trademark. They said, like, how are you doing it? And they doing it. And I would say, look, they ain't supposed to be doing that on the trademark. I literally started carrying around my trademark documentation because stores I've been trying to get in to come to a show and they'll see me and they'll see other celebrities wearing it that say they own it or just other celebrities. I would have to show you as, as a buyer, like, listen, I know you got a hundred stores, but and you think this other brand on it, but I was showing my documents and they'd be like, wow. But they still wouldn't buy from me because they didn't want no problems. Oh, wow. So, so long story short, we ended up um, going to court and then we just came to an agreement right. and they just stopped using it. Okay. Well, that's, that's good then. I thought you were still in the battle with them. So I would, that's good. That's a nah, but you know, it was about a four or five year court battle. Right. Yeah. So in the interim of me, Going to listen, I got. I went to. I, I end up hiring to see a guy named Stan Shambron. He used to be the president of Skechers, the, mm -hmm. the, the apparel division, not the shoe division. Mm -hmm. So he was he was the president of Skechers through a company called Lee and Fong. They had the licensing for Skechers. He was mm -hmm. the president of the apparel division for Skechers. I end up hiring him as my vice president. Mm -hmm. We started traveling, going across the country, presenting the brand to big stores like Dick's. Um, Foot Locker Twice, Hibbit Sports, Champs, um, Academy Sports, 
Bells, Belks. So we go to all these stores and we're doing presentations for these brands because they like what we see. They like what we're doing. The mm -hmm. Army Department of the Army Department of the Navy, all those stores. And the, the lawsuit I was in, they would, you know, Google my company or do some research on me. There's like you in a lawsuit. I say, yeah, but I own the trademark. They ain't supposed to be using it. They'll say, well, initially they, they want to do business. And when they see that lawsuit, they'll say, no, nah, we can't do that right now. Hmm. So it hindered me getting in stores too. So I, so she said, so it only hindered you for about five, well, I ain't going to say only, but five years, you said? I was still able to sell it on my own through the internet. But as right. far as going to stores and department stores, stores when, they, when they Google my company or they do research, because you, if you do a contract with somebody, you want to see who's the owner, how much yeah. the company worth, what other stores they in what type of business relations they have, you start doing your research. Like if me and you get in business right now, you're going to want to know what I do, who, who other contracts I got and what's going on. You'll do, you'll do your research on my company and you'll find out, hey, this company's in a lawsuit. If we partner with them, would it drag us down? So you'll be guilty by your association. So a lot of companies didn't want to be involved in the fact that I was in a lawsuit so they, they wouldn't buy from me. Right. So yeah. you recently did what they call a rebrand? Is that what nah, you're we just reached an agreement that they wouldn't use it no more. Well, no, I'm talking about what you do, uh, what you doing now. Recent, what you recently just did. Oh yeah, we rebranding. It's called rebranding. So what we do is um, we bring in a whole new team of people. You know, a lot of um, most people call it campaign. So right. if it's a if it's a shooting, a gun shooting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you want to attach your brand to something in the community to relaunch your brand. Mm -hmm. So, like, give you a prime example. You have FUBU, then you have FUBU Platinum, then they was with Fat Albert, then they did some other, um, um, you know, partnerships with other um, companies or celebrities. So the only thing we're doing is a relaunch, saying this is our new style, this is what we're doing, we're partnering with these, we're fighting mental health, we're fighting gun violence. So it's just a relaunch, and we're just showing our new styles and new brand. Right, yeah. It looks, looks good, too. I've seen you. Seen you post a lot of it. It looks looks real yeah. nice. I gotta get Appreciate me some more. That. I got one outfit already, but I gotta get me some more. I went on I went on there to get some, but I don't think y'all was selling them yet. But I think they up now, though. Yeah, they up now. We can. I'm getting ready to um have um one of my marketing team go ahead and put some some more apparel on this week because we're kind of rolling it out because it's holiday and it's Christmas. So right. you got Black Friday and then you got Christmas coming up for Cyber um, Monday. So we don't want to just um, roll everything out. And actually, when you relaunch, you got to roll it out in stages so you yeah. can continue to uh, evolve. You know, you put everything on there and then somebody come back next week. They're like, I seen this. And they come back two weeks later. I seen this. So you don't want to relaunch everything at one time. Right. So yeah. what, what with it? So with it hurt to do it? It'll hurt to relaunch everything at one time or? I'm going to give you a prime example. Mm -hmm. Women buy a lot of shoes, right? Mm-hmm. So if you had a shoe store and they came in October 1st and all your all your inventory that you had, if you put it in the October 1st and you wouldn't get no more inventory to January. So they come in October and they like your stuff. And then they come back two weeks later. You ain't got no new shoes. They're like, no, well, I'll be back November. Come back November 1st. You got the same stuff you put in October. They say, you ain't got no new shoes. Nope, not yet. Then they come in. You know, December 1st, you ain't got no new shoes. You don't gave them everything you had October 1st. Mm -hmm. But if you rolled it out slowly, they'll keep buying and keep buying and keep buying. And by right. the time you roll your whole line out from October 1st to December, your new stuff is in January. Yeah, it makes sense. So you yeah. got to keep them coming back. But if you if you got a, 
a relaunch and you put everything on that relaunch in your yeah. store or on the internet and they come back and they say, man, I seen that. After the third time, they're not going to come back because you don't got nothing new. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you want to roll it out slowly, you know, just, you know, we got shoes, we got hoodies, we got a different color wave, you know, we got fleece, we got sweatsuits. If I put everything on there and you see everything you like, you're going to buy. And then by the time October, I put everything on there, October, by the time January comes, you don't, you don't attach to another brand. Right. But if you're buying every month, you buy here and there, when you go shopping, you say, well, I got a hundred dollars. I like this brand. Let me go see what they got new. But every time you come back, we don't have nothing new. You're going to spend a hundred dollars somewhere else. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So how how important it is to you to have your family? I know some of your, some of your kids work with you in, yeah. in clothing. How important is that for you? You know, strategically, you 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 got to understand um, what a position your kids or what a position your family members because mm-hmm. people don't understand. Just because you do it, that, that don't mean they can do it. They, they don't have the same passion, the same okay. desire. You know, and um, what I went through to get to where we at, I made it easy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's already foundation. Right. So I would have to position them if they don't have the desire that I had. I have to position them where I think they would fit better in what their character is. I couldn't put you in a position. I can't put you at quarterback and you a, you're a DB. I can't <laughs> put you at center. You five six. I can't put you in the center position. Yeah. So based on your talent and based on your strength, I position them, you know, that's why I think they need them. Look, I'm, I'm, know, smiling. I'm smiling because I, I got two daughters and I try to do the same thing with them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, you know, another thing is, um, and even this is what people don't realize. The closest people to you don't see your vision because they don't think they can do it. Right. Because they see how hard you're working. But somebody else that's afar or don't even deal with you, they'll believe in you more than the other person because they don't see your failures. They don't see your struggles. They don't see your recycles. So prime example, people that see me doing this since 1999, they be like, this cat's still doing this. Right. A year 10, they be like, this guy's still doing this. So, but the people who, they knew I was doing it but they didn't press me like you still doing this. So they didn't have a, a thought about what I was doing. I would hire them before I would hire the person that seen me doing it a long time. You know why? Why? Because the person that seen me doing it, they didn't believe in what I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I get to my level, they'll say, Oh, if I fail or if I had a setback, they would quit because they didn't believe me in the first place. Now, if I bring you on right now and you see me doing what I'm doing, you don't know nothing about what I was doing. You just know this cat been doing this a long time, right? But then if I got to a level and then I fail, you will stay with me because you seen me do it so long. You say, if that cat did it this long, if he fail, he'll come back. But the people that see you fail along the way, if you fail again, they'll stop because they didn't believe it in the first place. Yeah, they don't believe it. But somebody work. who didn't see you do it and they seen you doing it and they wasn't involved and they seen you putting in the work and you succeed and if you fail to have a setback, they'll ride with you because they say, nah, this cat been doing it that long. He had a setback. He gonna come back. Mm-hmm. So you gotta understand how to position people in your business and in your life. You know, right. that's gonna help you. Right, right. Trust me, I've been there, done that. I, you know. Yeah. I, I, I ride with people like I'm like I need I need you to invest this 
you know, in me, or I need you to, to help me do this. You know, I ain't got no money right now. I'll pay you on the back end or, you know, they just didn't, they just didn't see what I seen. Right. Yeah. So you, so you I, tell, I tell my kids this, I tell my kids this all the time. I got a showroom. I had a showroom. It was like 3000 square foot. That's a lot of space. Yeah. 3000 square foot. So people used to come in my showroom and be like, dog, you got a lot of, you got a lot of stuff. You know, I never throw nothing away. You know, I'm always ready. I'm always ready. Right. Like when I did fashion week, a couple months ago, I got a call. Like, you want to do Fashion Week in Atlanta? I was like, absolutely. I didn't have to call manufacturers to get no product done. I didn't have to design nothing. I was, I stayed ready. And I, I tell my kids this: it's better to have, it's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than have an opportunity and don't be prepared. So when you come in my showroom, I got winter clothes, I got summer, I got fall, I got track suits, I got shorts, I got hoodies, I got t-shirts, I got caps, I got women's stuff, kids stuff. I always was ready because I didn't know when coach was gonna put me in. Right, right. Put me so in. So when coach. I get calls, they say, Hey, we didn't get the delivery from this brand. We want to know do you have at least 200 pieces of this? Because the company is supposed to deliver it to us, don't have, they can't deliver for some reason. They didn't deliver. We got space in our store. You got 200 pieces? I said, absolutely. What, what you need? We need T-shirts. We need hoodies. Because, you know, person didn't make their delivery. Especially when um, the pandemic hit and mm -hmm. people was trying to get stuff from overseas. I had a warehouse full of stuff. Mm. So when they, people couldn't get their stuff in the country, I already had stuff from six months ago, a year ago. I just never got rid of it. Right. I don't... Hoodies we, we, never... Go ahead, go ahead. Hoodies are never gonna go out of style. Never. Yeah, people wear them all the time. I just learned this too. When I was in, I did Fashion Week in Bloomingdale's. I asked the lady, I was like, we had a um one of the executives was was hands-on with us, telling us how to get in the stores, you know, the price points, the fabrics we need to use. She was very hands-on telling all the vendors, this is what you need to do to get in our store. We want y'all in our store because y'all can, you know, bring a different clientele. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what y'all going to do with all this stuff y'all have if you don't sell it? They already purchased it from the designer. They put it in the warehouse. And when summer come, they put it back on the floor. Hmm. Same stuff. Same stuff, just different promotion. Right. I mean, they already bought it. What are going to do? Get rid of it? Right. And that's how people get caught up in building a brand if they don't have no money. I'll give you a prime example. If you do hoodies... And then you do sweatsuits, tracksuits. Then you do T-shirts, long sleeve, short sleeve. You got like 10 colors. You got 10 items. Each each item is a three different colorway. Or you might have two colorways, right? Mm -hmm. And that's summer. What happens if you don't sell it all? You got to put it in storage or put it away, right? Mm -hmm. Keep it in the showroom. Then we get ready to go in the fall after summer. Then you got to you gotta rerun that whole thing again. You got to design a different style. Mm -hmm. You know, different fabrication, different fabric. So you already got money you spent on the summer stuff that didn't sell. Now you're going back and doing fall. What if you don't sell your fall? You're going in the holiday. Then at the holiday, you got spring. So people get caught up in trying to be a big brand. If you start now, you only need about three pieces. You need a hoodie, a short sleeve, and a cap and a jacket. All right. And you need to keep it about two to three colorways. And you just push the hoodies, just push the t-shirts. Because once you don't sell it, if you ain't got the money to keep going, 
then what you gonna do? Cause you're gonna spend your money on trying to be big. You can't be everything yeah. to everybody. You can push your brand on hoodies and caps. You can push your brand on t-shirts and um, caps. You can push your, your brand on t-shirts, hoodies and, um, and a jacket. So you, you can't be like jeans. When I started, I was, I was doing jeans, but I was selling though. Right, I mean, right. it was, you know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult um, to push a brand now than it was when I first started. Yeah, because yeah, everybody doing it. And then two, um, you know, the internet is available, but you got to put money into that. Right. When, when there was no internet, everybody would show up at the trade show. Everybody. So you in one central location, you got about 10,000 brands, but everybody segregated because I don't sell blouse. I don't sell slacks. I don't sell women, you know, dress clothes. I sell athletic wear. So when they, when they already go on to buy, they already see, okay, I like that brand. You know, it's easy because everybody's in one location. Now mm -hmm. the internet is so big. It's like bumper cars. Mm -hmm. Everybody's selling the brand. Everybody's selling hoodies. Everybody got hoodies. Everybody got caps. Everybody got t-shirts. People doing socks. It's like bumper cars right now. Right. Yeah. But the thing is your marketing. Yeah, your marketing and your message. Your marketing. It, I mean, you ain't even got to have a message these days. Yeah. You just yeah, got to market. The marketing is a beast. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the marketing. Yeah. So you, you do um, stuff in the community, too, as far as. But you, you say you're a CFO of uh, what is it? So we used to own group homes. Family Service family, of America. Yeah, Family Service of America. We used to own group homes. So um, my wife started some group homes. We had group homes in three different cities, Fayetteville, Spring Lake, and Hope County. Mm -hmm. So we had. Um, so after we did the group homes, we transitioned from group homes to foster care. My wife is a therapist. Mm -hmm. So we got a contract for the whole state of North Carolina. We do foster care. Okay. So um, we do a foster care and we do the outpatient therapy. Then my wife got a contract to do therapy in all the schools. And now they got therapists in schools. Now we grew up, we didn't have no therapists in schools. You know right. what I'm saying? But now they got therapists in schools. So she got a contract for that. I'm the CFO. I handle the finances for her foster care agency. Okay. And they interim me doing clothes. Um, I had an opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, I tell you, I always stay prepared. All right. Uh, I had a fence built around me. I live on two acres and I had a, a, a six foot wall built around, around my property, around my house. Mm -hmm. And the Mexican guy, a friend of mine, I met him. I told him what I needed. He put the wall up, but we, we became friends. Mm -hmm. And um, he ended up becoming homeless. This guy was very, I was very impressed with him. Um, he got a divorce, long story short, and he lost everything. He was homeless. He came to me and said, man, why don't you help me start a construction company? I said, man, I don't know nothing about construction. He's like, yeah, but you're smart. I see how you move. I see what you're doing. He said, you finance it. Start the construction company. You finance it, and I get the workers. He had about 100 Mexicans. And they, so I, I started the company in my name, construction company. And then uh, he started getting jobs, but I was just financing them. So yeah. he would remodel a house. So he would do driveways or concrete work for apartments. And he would be like, this is what it costs. I'll put up the money and I would get a return on the money because the company was mine. He was doing all the work and he was just showing me, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. So about three years later, we just grew. We basically grew. We started getting major jobs, but in North Carolina, if you do any job over $30,000, you need a GC, a general contractor. And we couldn't do jobs over 30,000. Hmm. So my wife's like, why are you turning on all this work? I said, we need a GC. What's that? A general contractor. 
So she said, I can, I can, I, well, how you do that? I said, you got to take the state test to be a GC. She went to a one day class, studied for a whole week and took the test and passed. She said, yeah, yeah, so me and Jose, yeah, so me and Jose, me and Jose went to breakfast one day. I said, you know, Shannon taking that class today. He was like, really? I was like, yeah. So we eating breakfast. The, the test was from nine to one. Me and him eating breakfast at 11 o'clock. I get a call. I said, man, this Shannon. I said, what's up? She's like, babe, I passed. I said, but it's a four-hour test. She said, I just did the test. I knew what I knew, but I didn't know. I didn't worry about it. And then I was like, the man was like, you, you sure you want to go back to your test? She said, nah. She put it in the computer, and the computer told her, congratulations, you passed. Mm. But she said she was the only female, the only black. It was a lot of older white guys in there, and she passed. So she became our GC. And wow. then we started do, we started doing remodels, and we just grew and grew and grew. Now we do new construction. We can do anything. We unlimited, right? So we we can build an airport if we if, you know if we get the contract. But we do a lot of state jobs. We build houses for the state. Do a lot of state houses, remodels, and stuff like that. So we yeah. own a construction company too. So y'all recently y'all buy a whole block or <laughs> tell me about that? <laughs> y'all built the whole block. So what we was doing was um, we was going around buying properties. Okay. You know, and what people don't know is if you want to become wealthy, get into real estate. Yeah. That's one of the only things that that's one product that doesn't lose its value. Like you lived in what, Hollywood Heights when you grew up. Mm -hmm. Is that house still there? Yes, yeah, still there. The house I grew up in <laughs> when I was in fourth grade is still in Montclair. Yeah. So, I mean, and the value done went up on that property. I think mm -hmm. my parents bought the house for like 45, 50,000. Now it's mm -hmm. worth almost 200,000. Mm -hmm. But my point is, uh, that's how you get rich. You make money while you sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody always going to live in that house. So we got into construction and we started buying houses. The city of Fairville had a block of houses. I mean, the whole block. They was getting ready. To, they were selling these houses. They was going to demo them. But then they decided to just sell the whole block. Yeah. I did not know this. There was um, transitioning housing for um, homeless women with kids. They sold them all. I bought the whole block for 162000 Wow. What? I turned around, remodeled those homes, mm -hmm. and I got it on the market for $2.1 mm. But this is what I didn't know. When I bought them, they was built in 1935. It was 600 square foot. We took each house from 600 square foot to 1250. It was a two bedroom and the bathroom was in somebody's bedroom. We gutted the houses, turned them into 1200 square foot, extended them. I turned them into three bedroom, two four bath, a living room, kitchen, dining room, and the living room, and a laundry room. And um, I turned around and rented them back to the state after wow. I fixed them up. And the state paid me every month. And they're using them for transition housing. And they could, it's a three bedroom. They, they keep one to two people in that house at a time. Mm. So I so I own that whole block of houses. And um we bought we have land that came with it. So now we're finna put five townhomes there. And then I just kept them rolling and unfolding it. It's a system, it's wow. it's an easy system. People, people just don't know the system, but yeah. Now that I'm in, I'm involved in it. It's easy to it's easy to make money. I mean, wow. I be looking at a lot of my friends and telling them they're like, "How you doing this?" They think that I'm not that smart. I just surround myself with smart people. If I don't know, I'm gonna ask you. If you don't know, I'm gonna say, "You know, you just gotta ask." The Bible says, 
You have not because you asked not. So I got into this and I just started asking people how you do this. I'll pay you. If they didn't want to tell me, I, I found somebody that I can pay to show me or teach me. Right. You are that smart. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I say, man, you and you and your wife and Shannon, man. I'm gonna tell you a system. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. We find the houses, medium income houses, mm-hmm. no more than a hundred and forty thousand dollar houses. If I buy a house for a hundred thousand. And I borrow hundred thousand dollars from the bank, and I buy this house. My mortgage to the bank is probably about five hundred dollars. Then I got taxes; it's about eighty dollars. I have insurance for about ninety dollars. So say I'm around six hundred and twenty-five dollars. I pay my mortgage with the money that the person who rented for me. So say you get a house for hundred thousand, you rent it for twelve hundred. You pay your mortgage and the taxes, insurance. After that, you got six hundred dollars in your pocket. So imagine somebody walk up to you every month and give you six hundred dollars. Yeah. After well, all the bills are paid, huh? With the times now, and it's kind of it's kind of hard for people to do that now. Make a uh, buy no, a house for them. No, you don't think so? No, I do. So, so people just got to get out there and do it if they really want to do it. Right now, say me and you say say, uh, say Hans, this is what we're gonna do. There's a house in Hollywood Heights for one hundred and fifteen thousand. We go to the bank and get a, a loan for 115. We pay the loan and then we got to pay back $700 taxes, insurance, and the mortgage. We rent it for 1400. Mm-hmm. So we put 700 in our pocket. Well, I'm, I'm talking about as far as the prices of the houses now, they're way higher than they used to be. But you still can get the money to buy them. Right, right. Okay. If you if you Google houses for 100 Forty thousand. It's gonna be a three bedroom, one and a half bath. Mm-hmm. Basically, the neighborhoods me and you grew up. People still live there. Mm-hmm. Those are middle income people that's working at Walmart, Walmart distribution. You know, I I I stay in my category. I don't I don't really try to get into two hundred and up thousand dollar homes because right. those people, it's less of those people than there's more people that's have an average job that's gonna pay twelve hundred dollars in rent. Right. And another thing, I rent my house as a section eight. Because they never come off Section 8. I got family that's been on Section 8 20 and 30 years. They never come off. The state just keeps these people on Section 8. They got kids, unfortunately, and the kids grow up and they be young. So I rent the Section 8. I love Section 8 because Section 8 go out there and they check the home. They make sure the home is um, habitable. Nothing is broke. The doors, windows, everything. If anything in the house is broke and you don't fix it, they'll cancel your contract. So Section 8 checks the home. Right. I have more problems out of people that I rent to that's not on Section 8, then I do people on Section 8. Because the yeah, people on that. Section 8, the I people on Section 8, yeah, and I get my money on time because Section 8 direct deposit. Mm-hmm. The other person that's not on Section 8, that's like, hey, I'm going to pay a late fee. I don't have the money this month. The rent is due between the 1st and the 5th. I get the rent on the 24th. Then eight days later, they got to pay the next month rent. So I keep waiting on them to get the money. But Section 8, always on time. I don't have to worry about not getting my money. Mm-hmm. So I like written the Section Eight, and the person that's on Section Eight, they're gonna be there five to ten years on average. Yeah, I heard somebody talking about that on another podcast. His name's Stormy. I think it's Storm, Stormy something. But he was talking about Section Eight as far as the pandemic when people weren't paying. You know, Section Eight paid. Section Eight paid. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So I like I like Section Eight. I like contracts with the state. But um, if you and three of your partners get together. And you go to a bank, you start a company. It can be HBC company. 
all y'all last names, the letter y'all first last names. Based on your financial income, y'all can get a hundred thousand dollar loan. You go buy a house. You get one house that's worth a hundred thousand. After you rent it for twelve hundred, you paying the loan and the taxes back. Y'all split six hundred dollars, two hundred dollars a piece. Then you go to the bank and say, "Look, we got this house. We're making six hundred dollars profit. We want to borrow another hundred thousand. What's your collateral? We got income from our current jobs." And we got income from the house that we just bought. We rent and we get $600. So we're going to use our personal collateral plus the house we just bought for $100,000. And y'all do that again. So mm -hmm. now y'all got two. But y'all splitting $600 three ways. Now you got $1,200 you splitting three ways. Mm -hmm. Now when you got two, you go back to the bank and say, we want to borrow $200,000. Instead of doing one house again, we're going to do two at one time. Mm -hmm. You follow me? So yeah. then you do two houses at one time. All in the category between a hundred to hundred thirty thousand dollar homes. Now you got four. You go to the bank and says, "Listen, we want to borrow four hundred thousand. What you doing? We're gonna do what we did with that one hundred. That first house, we're gonna do it four. We need four hundred thousand. We want to do four homes at one time. You see how you keep building your inventory, your assets? Yeah. I own sixteen houses, and I did that within three years. Wow. And now I'm getting ready to build twenty seven townhomes. That's why you're my inspiration, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah. Look, I get look every time I see you post something, you share it. I get happy for y'all, like I'm there with y'all. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate okay. it. You know what? Believe it or not, man, yeah, I got yeah. more people cheering for me than I do haters. That's good. That's a good thing. You Everybody know, people always haters, you read. do you really need haters? <laughs> no, you don't. You, you need faith. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm gonna tell you too. I, I, I was on another podcast and I was telling the guy, I said, you know, I don't believe in taking risk. Mm -hmm. I believe in taking a chance. Because the same chance I got, you have that same chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. When you take a when you when you take a risk, you don't know the outcome. Is that's why it's called a risk. When you take a chance, you already know what you have to do to get it done. Mm -hmm. Like if you take a chance, same thing I'm doing. I'm gonna take a chance. I'm gonna do what Kelsey doing. I'm gonna say, huh? Just what you gotta do. You gotta do A, B, C, D, E, and I'm gonna walk you through it. Mm -hmm. You're taking a chance. But when you take a risk, you don't know the outcome. That's why it's called a risk. Right. So everybody has the same chance I got. Right. Just a matter of taking action. It's just a matter of taking action. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Look, I, I didn't learn how to read and write, bro. My report card was posted in the newspaper. When I did an article, they did an article on me. If you if you read through the article, they posted my report card. Cash was like, yo, I believe you. When they see my report card, they be like, how wow. did you make it? Yeah. God. So we, so you know, we do construction. Um, you know, I own like, you know, rental properties. We own a foster care agency. We doing clothes. I started a trucking company um, with my daughter. Um, she got Sprinter vans. Okay. And she put Sprinter vans on the highway. Put drivers in them. They drive across the country just delivering products. Mm. That's good. That's great. That's great. Well, y'all, y'all doing some great things, man. Like I said, I'm proud. Mm -hmm inspired every day by you and just glad i'm glad to have you on the show man so other people can hear hear your story and don't be afraid to take action for their own self and you know the thing about it is um i tell a lot of young people i said if you just listen if you just listen and you ask and you sit and you show yourself worthy and faithful people are pouring to you mm -hmm. but when you're out here wilding out and you posting and saying stuff 
you know, that uh, jeopardize my relationship because I'm dealing with you. People ain't going to put, they're not going to put their, their neck on the line. They're not going to take a risk because they don't know what you're going to do. They don't know how you're going to bring them down. So when I tell people, you can do the same thing I'm doing. You just got to take a chance. Okay. But people are like, it's the work they don't want to put in. It does yeah. take work. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. You, but what if it do work? You say, oh, I don't want to do it. It might not work. But what if it do? Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that. But what if it do? I'm like, if I don't do it, I'm going to be stuck where I am. And I don't like being stuck. I hate being stuck. You know, I navigate my way through to where I get to the finish line. Yeah. I you often tell people, I some, I often ask people what? We fail. I often tell people we fail when we don't start. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You already have failed. So, yeah. When, when people ask me for information, they be like, the banker called me from BBNT. He's the president of the bank. And he's like, hey, I've I seen this article on you. He said, man, I didn't know you couldn't read and write. He said, that was an inspiring article. He was just, you know, talking to me about how it inspired him, even though he's the president of the bank. And um, he asked me about real estate. He was asking me, and I'm giving him all this information, all this information, what he needed to do. And his son, when they get in real estate, I said, man, give your son my phone number. You know, tell him to call me anytime. You know, I said, I know you've done some great things. I said, I'm not trying to undermine your accomplishments, but anything he need, man, tell him to call me. I got him. And he was like, you'll do that for free? I was like, I don't sell that. I don't sell information. I don't have a manual that I'm out here selling how to do real estate. Right. But if I did, I would charge you. But that ain't what I do. Right. You know what I'm saying? I said, the same thing I'm telling you, my kids might need somebody to pour into them. I just mm -hmm. want to return. Right. I said, if I'm out here selling information, I do want to return it. But then when I do anything I'm doing, if I ain't got a manual for it, selling it, then I was free from me. That's what's up. That's what's up, man. So uh, tell everybody, how can they find you? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that. So on Facebook, I'm Kelsey Battle on Facebook. Um, I'm I, I Can Close on Instagram. Um, please follow me on I Can Close. I'm trying to get my following up um, on Instagram. Um, on Facebook is at I Can Close. And um, yeah, so just hit me up at Facebook, Messenger, Kelsey Battle, at I Can Close on Instagram, or I Can Close on Facebook. And you can go to our website. My, my website is www.icanclose.com. There you have it. Any more last words you got to say to people? Yeah, listen. I, I, I used to tell my wife this all the time when we was younger, and she didn't understand it. She thought, man, that sounds selfish. But I'm like, nah, but now she understands that. Nobody going to take care of me like me. That's right. <laughs> Nobody gonna take care of you like you. And I encourage you to put you first. Because if you don't take care of you, how can you take care of your people? That's right. Wow. But, but I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to pour into people. And if you need any information, you know, I, I told you how to find me. Looking right. forward, you know, 2024. I just wish blessings on everybody and all your opportunities. Yeah, and I appreciate you, man, for having you. I got to get your wife on the show next. Uh, oh, yeah. Y'all doing some great things, man. I'm going to continue to stay connected with you. Oh, yeah. She the brains behind the operation. Yeah. Go take a test uh, and then, what, three yeah. hours to pass it? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. she got right. some brains on her. All right, man. Well, take care, and I'll be talking to you All soon. Right. Okay, be safe.
Right, there you have it for another episode of the MPL Ford Podcast. If you like what you saw, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the MPL Ford Podcast.